Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I think you and I have something in common. We find a reason every day to get out of bed, don't we? Motivated. You got, maybe you have to go to work. Maybe you have a dog that is waiting to be let outside. Maybe uh, you've got so much going on, you don't even think about, hey, I need to get up and get out of bed. You just do it. I'm thinking about motivation this week, and I'm talking about motivation on this great Thanksgiving week. lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful for Stephen. I'm thankful for Peter Sampson, Judah, all the interns, the production assistants. I'm thankful for you, the listener of this show, for being out there, giving us a reason, giving us some purpose to get out of bed. I mean, for crying out loud, we've got Oregon and Oregon State, Civil War Week. Yes, it's Civil War Week. I'm calling it the Civil War because I checked in with Oregon and Oregon State today. I said, hey, it's been three years. Do you have a name for this thing? Oregon said, nope, no progress. Oregon State said, not yet. Until they give us another name for this thing, what, what, are, we, what are we? They're leaving us in a bad position. So it's Oregon and Oregon State Week. It's Civil War Week. It's Apple Cup week. So much tradition at stake. So many good matchups. I started looking at the games early and the point spreads early. I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. we got a bunch of tiebreakers at stake in the Pac-12. Three teams, count them, one, two, three, still can get to Las Vegas fighting for the final position. USC is already in. They are uh, going to play in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday, December 2nd, in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. But who will they be playing? And will they be the one seed or the two seed? We won't find out until this weekend, as uh, the Pac-12 teams that I mentioned will have to play off. And there are so many tentacles to this thing that even the Cal-UCLA game, which neither one of those teams is eligible to make Vegas, even that game could play a role as a potential tiebreaker. I want to talk about all of it uh, off the top of the show today. I'm talking turkeys and tiebreakers on today's show. Uh, But uh, we have great guests as well. We will get a visit from Jim Etzel, the CEO of Sport Oregon. How about Sport Oregon? How about Travel Portland? How about a women's Final Four coming to uh, the Portland metropolitan area? That is scheduled now for the 2030 women's Final Four. It's a long way away. I don't know if you and I are going to be going to this event or our grandkids or great-grandchildren will be going to this event because it's so far into the horizon. But uh, it's going to happen. It's long overdue. I wrote a column about it today at johnconzano.com. Finally, a big win for Portland. Finally, a big win. And you know what I've been told is I've been told by some people who are involved with the bid process uh, on the NCAA side that they felt like Zoom hurt Portland. Because the bids for the Final Four, the last round of Final Four events that went out, were done via Zoom. They, they didn't have a chance to get on site and look around. 
And the committee that came out to Portland and toured Moda Center and toured Memorial Coliseum and saw the Oregon Convention Center and the, the brand new hotel that is beside the Convention Center and looked around and thought, you know what, this is really ideally set up for a Final Four weekend. And the Final Four weekend includes a coaching convention that includes 3,000 coaches and players that will come, administrators, NCAA people that will come to participate in the coaching convention. It includes a fan fest. They're talking about, uh, you know, $2.5 million of economic, uh, excuse me, $25 million of economic impact on the event, on the event uh, to the city. But it, it's just, it's supposed to be a festival that celebrates women's college basketball. And I want to give an assist today. I reached out to both coaches, Scott Ruick at Oregon State and Kelly Graves at Oregon, and I texted them both and said, hey, you played a role in this. And in my column at johnconzano.com, i got to be honest with you, like I was beginning to feel like Portland was a little bit like Charlie Brown and that football. You know, Lucy was holding the football, and every time Charlie Brown went to kick the football, what'd she do? Whoop, she pulled it back, and Charlie Brown every time ended up airborne, parallel with the ground, heading down, down, down. And I felt like Portland was Charlie Brown when it came to these Final Four bids, NCAA Final Four, women's Final Four bids. Like, we're not going to get a men's event. We don't have, like, a 55,000-seat carrier dome. We don't have an NFL stadium that they can sell and sell and sell into with the tickets. So a women's Final Four or an NBA All-Star game are about as good as we're going to get in Portland. And the NBA All-Star game is not coming to Portland. They have not given us the time of day, much less the time of night. And so they are, uh, you know, we're beholden to this pipe dream over the last several years, this pipe dream of bringing a women's Final Four. And it felt like strike one, strike two. It was like we're down to our final strike. If we weren't going to get it this time, it wasn't going to happen. But I think... The basketball programs at Oregon State, Final Four program, great program that Scott Ruick has built, and the program at Oregon, Sabrina Ionescu, Kelly Graves, Final Four, uh, may have had the best team uh, in the history of this state in any sport in that 2019-2020 women's college basketball season. That may have been the best team that our state has ever seen suit up. It was dominant and had won 19 straight games heading through the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas as of March the 8th in 2020. That team was going to New Orleans. That team was going to blow through the Portland Regional. It was going to make the Final Four. It was going to New Orleans. And Sabrina Ionescu, like somebody was getting the scissors ready, she was going to cut the nets down in New Orleans when the pandemic hit. Three days after, they won the conference championship in Vegas. Here, here came the shutdown, right? And so we got robbed. And she got robbed. And I felt a little bit of vindication today. And maybe I'm the only one feeling that way. But I felt just a little bit of vindication because the profile that Sabrina Ionescu, Oregon women's basketball, Oregon State women's basketball, hell, they made us a, a basketball hotbed. Uh, you know, we don't have a WNBA team. We should in our region. But those two programs, along with probably George Fox and now the University of Portland women's program and Portland State is making some strides, like all of a sudden I look at the college basketball in this state and, oh, by the way, the PK Invitational and the PK Classic and the PK Palooza that's going on in the next week, and I go, you know what? We've got something here. 
We don't have an NFL stadium. We don't have a Major League Baseball team here. But we've got something when it comes to basketball. And I want to give a, you know, just a tip of the cap to the women's programs at Oregon and Oregon State in particular. Because I think they played a role in this thing in building the brand and showing the NCAA committee that, hey, uh, you know, Portland, Oregon, and the state of Oregon, they care about women's basketball. Look at the attendance at Oregon and Oregon State. Look at the regional success and the sellouts. Like, I think that stuff matters in the end. In addition to the fact that, oh, we have two basketball arenas that are side-by-side, ESPN and this Invitational this week and uh, through the weekend, the Phil Knight Palooza, as we call it, uh, all that stuff is a testament to the fact that we can play some festival tournament-style basketball uh, in a way that few other cities can do it. So congratulations to Jim Etzel and Sport Oregon. Congratulations to... Uh, all the fans that are going to get to go, all the all the young girls who are, you know, two and three years old right now who are going to be, uh, you know, primed by 2030 to go to an event and look up to their heroes playing basketball and, you know, and to all the players that have played over the years. Uh, the Michaela Pivics at Oregon State and the Aaliyah Goodmans who uh, went from LaSalle High School in Milwaukee to Oregon State and Sabrina Ionescu and Ruth, Ruthie Hebert and, Everything that they have built uh, all coming to fruition today in a way that, you know, I was kind of proud that, you know, Portland was among the host cities because I thought, here it goes again. Lucy's going to pull the football out and come 9 a.m. as I refreshed the NCAA's website uh, and broke the news uh, that, uh, you know, hey, Oregon, Portland, Oregon is going to be one of those Final Four sites. That was pretty damn cool. Uh, we got a great show for you today. I'm going to jump into the Pac-12 picture in the next segment. We'll be getting a visit from Jim Etzel at Sport Oregon at bottom of the hour. We'll talk a little bit of soccer. Man, d- did you watch the World Cup soccer today? Did you watch USA and Wales play a 1-1, what is it, a draw? Uh, a 1-1 tie in soccer. Part of why it frustrates so many of us that aren't diehard soccer fans. We're watching this. Uh, you know, qualifying uh, play in the World Cup and, uh, you know, very unsatisfying feeling as you watch Wales in the United States play to a 1-1 draw. Uh, now just bracing for, uh, you know, uh, the United States men to have a disappointing uh, performance in their second game. I don't know if you're watching it or not, uh, but suddenly today it felt like we were a soccer nation with everybody tuned into the soccer I went to lunch today, I got out of the house and went to lunch, and I was like, you know what, I looked up, the soccer was on the TV, it was great, it was fun to kind of see people getting into it, but in the end, damn it, like for all my friends who love soccer, John Strong, the voice of American soccer on the broadcast, who were always belly aching at me saying, you need to embrace this more, you need to enjoy this more, I need more performance out of the United States men's national team. In a, in a match like that, like I need a better, more thrilling performance. The, the women's U.S. national team just gets it, gets it done, gets it. And, and don't give me all this stuff. People are tweeting at me saying, you know what, our best athletes play other sports. Well, of course they do, but look at our population. Are you telling me that we can't beat Wales uh, on, a, on a level playing field with our third best or fourth best? Come on. We're crying out loud. Great show for you today. We'll dive into the Pac-12 picture in the next segment. It's turkeys and tiebreakers running wild on today's show. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
got to give Bo Nix some credit, too. How about that performance on Saturday? Really gutsy performance by Bo Nix, University of Oregon uh, quarterback who was just absolutely gutsy. I mean, I don't want to say that that he was dominant in his performance because he wasn't. You know, he looked hurt. He didn't look 100%. And we're going to talk about the Pac-12 games coming up this weekend. I think Oregon may be a little vulnerable going to Oregon State at Reeser Stadium unless they can come up with a better game plan for Bo Nix or he gets healthier in short order. Um, He was healthy enough and he was good enough for Oregon to get a 20-17 win over Utah. I had the game picked uh, 35-34 Oregon over Utah. And I don't know, I didn't get the people out there that were picking Utah to win by double digits. I saw a couple of media members who covered the team who picked uh, Utah to win by two scores. And I was like, are you paying attention? Like, Oregon can run the ball. Oregon will compete. Oregon is playing at home. And, frankly, maybe it's just because, like, I have more of a 20,000-foot view of the conference. I've seen Utah play at Rice-Eccles Stadium twice this season. Like, I've seen them up close twice. I'm not just maybe locked into one team uh, like some others are. So I think it does – I think it has helped me this season as I'm handicapping the Pac-12 games that I have seen everybody. All right? So I think it's an advantage. And I'm not talking about seeing them on TV. There's some. There's something you don't get when you see a team on TV that you see in person. Like, you know, when you see them up close warming up and you're down on the field or you talk to their coaches – and so you get a real feel for the games, and I, I really did feel that Oregon would compete. And so I was puzzled by the people, you know, maybe they're just disappointed by the loss to Washington, but I was puzzled by the people who thought that Utah was going to blow Oregon off the field. I didn't see that, um, and I think, you know, I don't blame people who picked Utah, because I had it 35-34, but not to be blown off the field in a non-competitive way. Oregon will compete. Dan Lanning's got that. You saw him on the sideline on Saturday when he was rallying the defense around him. Now, I have a theory on what happened defensively for Oregon. Like, A, first and foremost, Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback, is not right. You can tell that. He's playing hurt, hasn't been the same since they beat USC 43-42 at their place. Uh, and they have not, Andy Ludwig, the coordinator, is not putting Cam Rising into, into situations where he has to run the ball, That taking that away from the offense. And so I, I felt like that is first and foremost why uh, Utah struggled to score points. Secondarily, um, Oregon came to compete. And I feel like I don't have this yet on the record, but my sense on Saturday and watching Dan Lanning on the sideline and the body language of Tosh Lapoy, his defensive coordinator, and subsequently the postgame news conference where Lanning was ask, answering questions about the defense – I kind of wonder if Dan Lanning took back control of some of the defense after the embarrassing performance against Washington. I'm not saying he uh, became the de facto coordinator, but it just looked to me like he was more involved and his coordinator on the sideline um, might have been pouting a little bit. It just just my observation from being in the stadium. Uh, keep an eye on that. It, you know, if Dan Lanning has taken over the defense, uh, I think they will continue to have a different outlook. It looked to me like Oregon took it personally, losing to Washington. Took it personally. There were a couple of Oregon players who were flying around being more physical than I have seen them be at any point of the season. So keep an eye on that. Um, so I think that happened. 
Uh, conversely, like, look at Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State flies under the radar, chip on its shoulder. All the Beavers have done to this point is put themselves in position to get win number nine of the regular season this coming Saturday at home against their rival. The point spread came out, the early spread came out with Oregon as a seven-point favorite, and I went, nope, that's wrong. I'm now seeing that down to uh, three and a half, three in some places. I think it will still continue as kickoff approaches to shrink. I will uh, not be surprised to see that point spread down to about Oregon State down, uh, you know, it's three and a half right now in most places, three, three and a half. I will not be surprised if that drops under three with Oregon State being at home and being at Racer Stadium. Because here's my takeaway in looking at Bo Nix in Oregon's game plan. I think Kenny Dillingham did a fine job giving Bo Nix everything that he could handle on Saturday. Um, Oregon, uh, on offense, put Ty Thompson in a really bad spot, running a trick play with a backup quarterback in the game. Probably not their best moment. But I, I will not be surprised if this game... Uh, you know, heads to the to the wire with you know somebody winning by a point, two points. Like right now, if you if gun to my head, you make me pick this game, and I'll pick it later in the week. I'm taking Oregon State in the three and a half because I think this is a pick 'em right now on my board as I rate this game. So I think you're getting three and a half points of value potentially there. So keep an eye on that spread and keep an eye on the health of Bo Nix, because if Oregon, if all Oregon can do is put Bo Nix on a stool behind a really good offensive line and have him sling passes, even Utah in the third and fourth quarter figured out, hey, he's no threat to run. This is all he can do. You know, he can make a play down the field if uh, we're not careful. But, uh, you know, it was obvious Oregon's game plan was hurt Utah enough down the field that they don't bring up, you know, eight or nine in the box. And... Uh, run the ball uh, other than that. And, and so Bo Nix took a couple shots down the field when Utah got in position where they started bringing guys to the line of scrimmage. But in the third and fourth quarter, Bo Nix struggled. He had 98 passing yards in the second half. Uh, he was very effective in the first half. He had 199 yards passing in the first half. Oregon State will not be as easy. If you put Bo Nix on a stool back there in the pocket, Oregon State is going to come after him. And so I think uh, it's going to require a very different game plan from Oregon this week, and, or it's going to require that Bo Nix is suddenly a little more healthy. Keep an eye on that one. Bunch of tiebreakers going on as well. We're trying to figure out who's going to get to the championship game. Uh, will it be Oregon? Will it be Utah? Will it be Washington? Guys, let's kick this around the room. Steven, who has the best shot to beat USC among those three teams I mentioned? Uh, I still think it's Oregon. I think Oregon has the best chance to beat USC and I know that Bo Nix, you know, wasn't 100% on Saturday, but he did just enough. I think that this offense of Oregon can put up enough points against USC and have the defense show up a little bit. I thought it was a really good performance, like you said, on Saturday for the defense. Uh, did seem a little different. Dan Lanning may have got involved. I think they could slow down USC just enough. I think Oregon uh, is the second best team or is the best team to face off against USC and actually beat them. I think, uh, I think you're probably right. I, I worry that Oregon won't get there. If Oregon State beats Oregon and, uh, you know, the other combination of things don't happen that are correct. I mean, it's simple as this on the tie-breaking front. If Oregon beats Oregon State, Oregon is in Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. It's the matchup I've wanted to see all season long. I just don't know 
if Oregon is equipped right now to beat USC. As much as I, uh, let's be honest, I don't like USC. I don't like the fact that they're leaving this conference. I don't like the fact that they hired Lincoln Riley, got a bunch of people in the transfer portal, got an AAU a club team going. I don't like any of that. But I got to give credit to Lincoln Riley. I got to give credit to Caleb Williams. They are playing the best football right now, and they beat UCLA because they can just outscore anybody on the offensive side of the ball, and they take care of the ball. Their turnover margin is incredible. And USC right now, just by virtue of the fact that they are the healthiest team, might be the best team in this conference. I think USC is going to beat Notre Dame pretty good this weekend coming up. And so I think USC is well positioned to get itself into the college football playoff and become the first team since Washington to get into the CFP coming from the Pac-12 conference. But standing in their way, potentially Oregon. Now, Oregon would clinch a spot if it beats Oregon State on Saturday. That's it. Oregon's in. Oregon would also get in uh, if they lose if Washington State wins the Apple Cup. So Oregon can beat Oregon State this Saturday and get into the uh, into the championship game. They would be the one seed. They would be the home team. USC would be the two seed. But if the Ducks lose to the Beavers on Saturday, Oregon can also get in if Washington State wins the Apple Cup. And I actually think that's a possibility as well because there could be a weather factor. It's a 7:30 game. It's in Pullman. And I like Washington State's defense and the way they're playing right now. Like, that's going to be a hell of a game as well. And we said early in the year, hey, the strength of this conference suddenly is in the Northwest. Outside of USC, that is held up. You've got Oregon and Oregon State, both very good, one with nine wins, one with eight. you got Washington and Washington State, very good as well. We're talking, you know, of the six teams that are in the top half of the conference, four of them are Pacific Northwest teams, and it's the two L.A. schools. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, Washington could get to the title game as well. For Husky fans, I want to give you this scenario. Uh, Washington would have to win the Apple Cup. That's first and foremost. They also need Oregon State to beat Oregon. And then they need one of these other things to happen. Either Cal to beat UCLA. Now, if Cal beats UCLA, that would mean that the tiebreaker uh, for, uh, for Washington would give them the tiebreak because of, of their strength of schedule and their wins, their win percentage against other teams. But, so they either need Cal to beat UCLA or they need uh, Colorado to beat Utah if UCLA beats Cal. So they need an upset or they need to win their game and have the Beavers win the game formerly known as the Civil War. Now, Utah can get in as well. I don't know if Utah fans want to see Utah get in. They're pretty frustrated. But Utah would have to beat Colorado. That's doable. They would need Washington to beat Washington State. That's doable. And they would have to have Oregon State beat Oregon. That's doable. And they would need UCLA to beat Cal. So that would create a three-way tie, and Utah would win because they would have the highest combined win percentage in conference games of the opponents that are tied, Oregon, Washington, and Utah. So that's step four of the multi-team tiebreaker. I've got all the tiebreakers. Uh, I think the most likely scenario is Oregon gets in with either a win over Oregon State or if Washington State beats Washington. So I think Oregon is probably the most likely team to get to Las Vegas in one form or fashion. I think after that, I'm kind of looking at Utah as the next team that could get there. Utah would just need to beat Colorado. They would need Washington to beat Washington State. They would uh, you know, need Oregon State to beat Oregon. And then they would need uh, UCLA to beat Cal, which is a very winnable game. So I think you know, for them, it's just the variables of you know, Washington beating Washington State and Oregon, beating, Oregon State beating Oregon. So that combination puts Utah in the championship game against USC. 
Uh, all right, we're going to talk to Jim Etzel at Sport Oregon coming up about the women's Final Four. It's coming to Portland, Oregon in 2030. Look, I don't know if I'm going to be there to cover it. 2030, that's, that's a long way away. You know, we're talking about seven years from now, uh, essentially seven years and a few months from now, having a women's Final Four. But I'll have some popcorn. I'll be at the game. Maybe you'll be there as well. Hell, who knows? Maybe we'll be broadcasting live in the 25th anniversary show of the Bald Face Truth from the women's, you know, Final Four in 2030. Who knows? But I know this. Charlie Brown finally kicked the football. He's joining us next. Leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. I, I think being resilient is one of the best things that you can be. It, it's true. I, I look at my daughters. Like, I think they're all bright and healthy and they're smart kids and whatever. But I really want them to be resilient. I want them to be able to deal with failure and setback and because that's life. it's all over the place in life, right? Um, Sport Oregon CEO Jim Etzel is a resilient guy. I know this because... He and his team and the others that were involved in the bid process over the years have submitted multiple bids for women's Final Fours that were unsuccessful. And I wrote it today. I, I began to feel like we were a little bit like Charlie Brown as a city, like, all right, we're going to kick that football, Lucy, and then didn't get the bid. Well, good news today, 9 a.m. this morning, the NCAA announced uh, a round of uh, bids for future women's Final Four tournaments, and Portland was among the winners. Uh, it got the 2030 Women's Final Four. It'll be at Moda Center. It'll be at Memorial Coliseum. Here to talk about it, Charlie Brown himself, Jim Metzl joining us. Hey, hey, what did that feel like for you and your team to get that news? Uh, unbelievably awesome to, to watch our team uh, jump around the room uh, and hug each other. It was uh, it, it was it just like a it, we were a huge weight taken off our shoulder because everybody worked so hard, wanted it so bad for the city, for the state, for all our bid partners. It, it was just great to be a part of it. And thank God I'm the son of a coach because that's where I learned my resiliency yeah. and through athletics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is because, you know, you put this stuff together and you're up against Indianapolis and you're up against Tampa and some other cities that have done it. And, you know, the committee probably, the bit, you know, the NCAA probably has different questions for them than they do a place that they've never brought the event to. What feedback did you get from the NCAA as they toured Portland and, and sort of looked around? We, we just worked really uh, on giving them an authentic Portland experience. I mean, our footprint speaks for itself with the Moda Center, VMC, uh, and you know, Oregon Convention Center and the Hyatt right there, all within 0.2 miles of each other. Um, the plaza between the VMC and the Rose Quarter is a big selling point, too, for some of the activations. And then our hotel product downtown is exceptional. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm from Portland. The NCAA feedback we get each year when we host men's or women's uh, first and second round or women's regionals is like this top to bottom is the best hotels we get in any city. I mean, we were in Minneapolis last year, and, you know, it's a big event city. Um, our product does stand up and, and, and stand out compared to other cities. Uh, they might not be the biggest hotels in the world, but the quality is really there. So that factors in. The move, you can move around the city. We, we threw in um, 
free TriMet and th free streetcar throughout the entire weekend, uh, and that was a big differentiator, 200-foot blocks. All these things that make Portland special and a walkable city. And then what our neighborhoods are like, and, uh, you know, we got great restaurants and beer and wine and all that stuff, and everybody tries to say they have that, but ours is special. We took our the committee that was here for the site visit. We took them to the sports bra, and Jenny, the founder, just was unbelievable hosting. We did a breakfast down there, and uh, and she got up and story told about you know what inspired her to start that, and it was watching a Final Four in a sports bar with no sound, with a bunch of friends in the corner, and it was on the smallest TV in a sports bar with 30 TVs, um, and that's what inspired her. We had Bev Smith, you know, the iconic Canuck Duck, there, and just talking about how she's seen women's basketball grow to the group. And, um, you know, uh, we had Karina from the Thorns there, and she just talked about the passion of the fans in the city. And then Mike on our team um, just talked about she flies. And so they all four told a really unique, authentic story that really resonated. You just looked around the restaurant during that moment for breakfast, and they were all nodding their heads. And we had a, a great closing luncheon up at the top of the Hotel Eastland where we looked over the OCC and Moda Center and Hyatt, and you can see the downtown, and it – because the river, in most people's minds, we don't think of it here, but to other people from other places, they see the river as this dividing factor, and it's like mm -hmm. a big obstacle. And we have to break that down and connect the two sides because we need both downtown and, and the Lloyd District. So those are the things that worked. And, you know, we had good weather, and, and, uh, and they just felt a, a, a genuine enthusiasm. At our closing lunch, we had Shamia Fagan, the Secretary of State, got up there and gave a real passionate uh, story about her and her coaching young boys and girls. And then she had a black pantsuit on and a Fighting Ducks t uh, jersey on underneath. And she at the end, she ripped it off and held up one forearm. She has a tattoo of uh, basketball going through a hoop and then the other one, vote, and it brought the house down. And uh, Representative uh, Janelle Bynum was there. Uh, mayor's office was there. It was just they could see that this – every facet, top to bottom, state level, city level, metro area level, and then the hospitality community, and then the franchises, you know, the Blazers, and everybody wanted in, uh, that the Thorns wanted this as bad as, you know, Travel Portland or Sport Oregon and the Blazers. So I just think we just worked really hard to be authentic and be true to ourselves and just focus on what we can do best that differentiates us from everybody else. I, I one of the concerns I had, and I've written about it and talked to you about this over the years, is just the image of Portland and the garbage and the graffiti and the tarps and the burned out cars and all the stuff that has cost Portland, uh, you know, tourism uh, over yep. the years. Did did it all get cleaned up? Were there questions about it? I mean, did visually, how did it look? And you know, how how important was that? We have a great partnership with the city and, and everybody else uh, that's tied into it. Um, and, yeah, we, we we put a spit shine on things in, in, the, in the routing that we had. And, and, uh, and they also, you know, we don't hide from it. We talked about it um, openly, and our city is in a better place than it was two years ago. To us locally, it sometimes feels like nothing changes, but there is, when you stop and look, there's been noticeable change, and I think there's going to be a lot more coming in. Hopefully this inspires us to – to step up even uh, more so and into the moment uh, as a community. Um, but the city showed well. Uh, it was interesting, you know, some comments like, um, and it's not justifying 
our situation here, but or, or trying to rationalize around it. But um, we don't look that much different than some other communities. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is a big problem in a lot of major cities, and uh, but at the same time, it's not acceptable and it's not humanitarian. All those things. Um, I think they they could feel it, and uh, and they saw they've all been here before over the last couple of years, and they saw where it's gotten better, and they also know what still needs to be done. Jim Etzel, CEO of Sport Organist, with us. Twenty thirty is a ways away. Uh, was that you know I know they bid these things out years. Does that give you time to do improvements to Moda Center, improvements to the Coliseum? What else is included in that bid? Do you promise stuff like that, or is it just, hey, you take the bid, and, and now you go about trying to put on a great event? You know, we, we sold it with what we have. Um, and, um, you know, if there end up being improvements at Moda Center between now and then, that's just, uh, you know, icing on the cake. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll see, you know, how all that works itself out with and their uh, negotiations on the lease extension and stuff like that. But we just sold – we could only sell what we had. We couldn't, you know, and promise off that. Um, so that's what we put our focus on. You know, I think it's an added deal that the three primary sideline partners, you know, the top two, Nike and Adidas, have world headquarters here, and the third, Under Armour, is, um, you know, has a major presence here. That's an interesting take on, especially with the coaches' convention and having 3,000 coaches here, most of whom have never been on their sideline campus, or you know their uh, their sideline partners' uh, campus or facilities. So, um, but that isn't what got us. It's it was it's the fans, it's the heartbeat of Portland, it's it's the our community being as accepting and as welcoming as it is, um, and uh, celebrating diversity, uh, celebrating women, celebrating women's sports. I mean, what what. The fans have done whether it's 19 regionals and how they pre-sold the 20 regionals that got canceled, or it's what they do every week for the Thorns uh, and show up. That that makes a difference. What happens in Eugene Corvallis with the Ducks and Beavers uh, around women's basketball? You know, it, it and our state just has a good reputation because um, uh, even visiting teams feel celebrated here. It's interesting that you point out that like. You know, the images that we think about when we think about the garbage, the graffiti, houselessness, that it happens in other cities. And I do think Portland took a hit, it probably unfairly, unjustly so, more so than other cities. And I think a lot of it was rooted in politics and how television displayed our city to the to the world. I had people calling me, Jim, going, hey, are you okay like everything's everything's on fire there and you know i'm like no that's happening downtown and i go and i travel and you travel i go to san francisco yeah. i go to salt lake city i go you know i'm in phoenix and you know i i get it, it it's it's ish, it's an issue everywhere so i'm glad that you pointed that out can can getting a women's final four help you bid more successfully for other events like an nba all-star game absolutely i think this is the tip of the iceberg um you know we're we've already prior to this, been in discussions about what's next, whether we won this or not. Uh, I think winning this gives us momentum and even further credibility um, about the future, you know, um, whether it's, you know, going after an NBA All-Star game, which now the Blazers um, and us are, you know, talking fairly openly about, about dreaming again and getting after it. I think we will get after it collectively led by the Blazers here very soon. Um, how that plays out, I have no idea. You know, we got another bid cycle opening up in uh, in 18 months with the NC2A for 
27, 28, 29. Uh, we'll bid for another women's super regional. We have one coming up in 24. We'll bid for a men's regional. We'll bid for men's first and second round. We'll bid for probably a women's uh, final four in volleyball. Because um, this put us on the map. I mean, we're the only of the winners of these five. We're the first. We're the only city that has never hosted before. Um, so it, it's now given us credibility. And it was a big deal to get to this point because in the preliminary round, we beat out Seattle, we beat out Las Vegas, and a couple big cities in California outside of Sacramento, so the Bay Area and L.A. that had interest in and put uh, bids in. So for us to get to this round was an accomplishment now to win. I really feel like if we didn't get it this time, um, I'm not – we would never give up, but it would have been a tougher hill to climb because I think the other West Coast cities would have started leaning in harder on the next cycle, and it might we maybe we wouldn't have got through the preliminary round again to become a finalist. And so I think winning now, and if we prove out in 30 and validate their decision, then you know I think it's reasonable for us to think that maybe we could host one of these every decade or 12 years, you know, type of deal. And, and I'm not going to say there's any rotation. But we'll have serious credibility. You see, Columbus is a repeat. Um, Indianapolis is a repeat. Dallas and San Antonio both repeat hosts. Um, so it, it does pay to win, and um, doesn't guarantee anything because you got to perform. But um, um, you know, it, it gives us hope down the down the line. A really interesting point about the river in the division, and I've thought about this with Moda Center and, uh, you know, Veterans Memorial Coliseum being where they're located. We've seen some cities like Atlanta move the ballpark out of mm -hmm. the city corridor. Um, and I've always felt like, hey, if you were going to reboot this, when, when and if this time comes for new arenas to be built, it feels to me like it would go, you know, on I-5 heading south towards Wilsonville, Tualatin, like that area is untapped. It's... Are you guys thinking and talking about that kind of stuff, or is that way, way, way in the in the future? I think we've, we, we, we have chosen, since I've been here, to focus on what we have, whether it's PIR, which had no major racing at it, and now we have IndyCar and NASCAR, um, and, and there's other things in the pipeline there. Um, you know, sometimes we're always focused on the shiny and new. I mean, we got a very unique footprint um, over at the Rose Quarter and the Lloyd District, and it'd be crazy to, to you know take our eyes off the ball on that. Um, I do think if the arena, an arena or stadium was built to the south or to the west or to the east, then all of a sudden it's not accessible to everyone in this community. I, I, all of a sudden, you know, baseball went to the west side or the east side or to the south. It becomes South Portland's team, or it's just not as accessible. And I think because of the size of our city and the way it works and moves, being central is um, is a huge uh, advantage, and it makes it feel like it's everyone's team and not just one part of the town's team. Um, and if we everything we can do to keep that, you know, sometimes the realities work out where it has to something has to be cited somewhere else. But if we could focus on Central City, uh, it can be very much Portland's team. I mean, the epicenter of the city is the center span of the Burnside Bridge. It's the the cross between our our quadrants. You know. It divides the city east, west, north, and south. Um, and if you think that way, I, I just think it's it's everybody's team instead of one part of the town's team. All right, champagne at 9 a.m. this morning, or was that too early? Uh, I, yeah, we we had Blue Star Donuts uh, and, and uh, Chaser, and it was right into the exploding 
inboxes and phone calls and everything. We are hosting a reception here at 4 for um, bid partners and our board members and anybody want to come from 4 to 530 in our office just to come hug it out with us. Uh, you know, there's a lot of smiling faces in here. You know, i got to give a shout-out to Matt Reed, our director of sports tourism. I mean, this guy is a focused bulldog. I mean, he just – he – ever since we got that call two years ago – he has. He listened. We all listened, but he acutely listened to what the feedback was and how do we address those concerns. And our presentation, uh, we left nothing on the table, and it covered all the bases and answered all the questions. I'm so proud of him and the team and our bid partners. Everybody wanted it really bad, so it was uh, it was huge. Yeah, my six-year-old will be 13 when that event takes off. I'm I'm excited to take her there. Dude, so, I might I might yeah. look like you. I might be polishing my dome, <laughs> and I'm going to be 67 years old. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get you a seat. <laughs> Jim Etzel, thank you. Good good job. All right, appreciate All right. it, John. There he is, the CEO of Sport Oregon. And look, at, at 9 a.m. this morning, the news broke. I I had been tipped off. Uh, this morning, and I started working on a column really about Sabrina Ionescu and unfinished business and the sadness around uh, the fact that we never got to see her team in a in a final four. And, and this doesn't replace that, but it made me think of it and because she built part of this in that Oregon women's basketball team played a role in this and Oregon State played a role in this and Scott Ruick and Michaela Pivik and you know, uh, Destiny Slocum and uh, Aaliyah Goodman and all the players that have been part of Oregon and Oregon State women's basketball over the years, you know, they, they were stakeholders in this thing, whether they know it or not. Uh, and, and so, you know, I had people with the, with the Portland bid who said, how did, you, how did you have that written so fast? Well, I had about an hour head start, and I knew it was coming down the pipeline. I knew it was very likely that Portland was going to get it. I was tipped off by somebody at the NCAA who said, hey, you should be ready at 9 a.m. That tells me pretty much. Uh, I think they were getting the bid. So I had that column ready, and the minute it was announced that Portland was getting the 2030 bid, I posted and blasted to all the subscribers at johnconzano.com, so they found out first. What I'm saying is membership has its privileges. Uh, we're talking about it on the show today. We'll kick it around here. The big splash is coming up. So much ahead. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Thanksgiving week. Uh, I said I was thankful for Stephen. Also thankful for Judah, who's in studio today. How you doing, Judah? John, phenomenal. Thankful for you, my friend. I, uh, what else are we thankful for when it comes to sports? I thought about that. John Wilner and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Yeah, and I said I'm thankful that the uh, Pac-12 officials didn't matter over the weekend. Like we had two really close games, USC, UCLA, and Oregon, Utah, and nobody left going. The Pac-12 officials blew that game. There was some normal belly aching, but they, it was no like the outcome of the game was not in question. What are you guys thankful for in a sports setting right now? Ooh, this is a good week for, to be a sports I fan. I tell you what, you get the the Thanksgiving triple header in the NFL is great, but you know, there's nothing better than ducks beeves for me as someone that's uh, partial to both schools. <laughs> I, yeah. I just root for these teams like crazy, and then when they play, 
it's my favorite day of the year. You know, the Civil War, the game formerly known as the Civil War, whatever. It's my favorite day of the year, and uh, Saturday will be no different. Yeah, uh, for me, you know, I thought Judy was going to go with the Seahawks. I thought that was the easy one, but uh, he didn't do it. Uh, for me, it's it's more of just what's happening on the field, right? Like, it's been a little bit away from the realignment stuff, and it's all about on the field, and it's what we've seen. And it's like you said, the teams in the Northwest yeah. have been so good. Like, this college football season has been very enjoyable from start to finish of the product on the field. Like, there's been some problems. There's been some questionable things. But overall, I am very thankful for that. I tweeted out a poll, Judah. Uh, Stephen already answered this question, but I asked who has the best chance of beating USC in the Pac-12 title game, Oregon, Utah, or Washington. Those are the three teams vying for that second spot in the title game in Vegas. Um, 60% of those voting, 2,317 votes uh, right now, 60% of those voting say Oregon. Utah and Washington both holding around 19 19.5%, 19.7%. Um, how do you see that? Oh, man, I, I begrudgingly say Oregon, but I'll, I'll say you dub, you know, for the firepower. Because mm-hmm. to me, you you got to outscore these cats. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln rightly has, and you dub's got the best offense. Yeah, uh, I think Washington with Penix Jr., uh, pretty formidable. I it, To me, it depends on whether or not Bo Nix is healthy. Like, I need to see him against Oregon State. Because if Bo Nix can't run, if he can't attack you with his feet, they're a different team. The funny part about that question, John, is Judah answered Washington. I answered Oregon. Utah's the only team that beat USC. I know. And nobody wants to think about it. Yeah, Utah's not it. playing well right now. They're just yeah. not the same team. Defensively, they impressed me, though. I mean, obviously, yeah. Knicks is a little banged up, but they did impress me. Who's going to win the Civil War football game? Ducks, Beavers. Right now, the other poll I put out had uh, 3,800 votes. 54.5% said Ducks. said Beavers. We'll give our official picks later in the week, but I'm leaning right now. I'm calling it a pick 'em right now. I don't think that spread's right, three and a half, guys. No. With the Bo Nix questionable, man, you don't know. Come on. Such a good game. I think this is going to be one of the most competitive best games that we've seen in recent history. Uh, Speaking of games, big soccer match coming up. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you more about it next. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Our next guest can talk all things soccer and a little more. Nick Carlin Boyd is the men's soccer coach, University of Portland. Uh, they have done it again on the NCAA stage. They've advanced to the Sweet 16. They will host Western Michigan Saturday, 5 o'clock at Merlot Field. If you're looking for something to do, you got family in town for the holiday. Nick Carlin Voigt would love to have you out at Merlot Field. He's joining us now. Uh, before I get into this, uh, talking UP, let's talk about the men's national team. 1-1 uh, draw. Uh, I'm not happy about this. I, I need a little more fireworks to draw in people like me who aren't like diehard soccer fans, Coach. Yeah, we started, I thought we played a really good first half. You know, I'm a big fan of our national team and our coach. Um, you could tell in the second half, I think we ran out of some juice. We faded. A lot of our top players hadn't been playing regularly. So it's, uh, it's a strange time to, to have a World Cup. But, you know, Christian's not playing every day at Chelsea. And, and Beth, I don't think he's played in over three months. Weston McKenney. 
you know, you could tell he's nursing an injury. So, um, you know, the, 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 the Welsh team is good, and um, silly penalty kick we gave up, and I think, you know, we left two points on the table. But getting a point is, is, is okay. You know, we'll probably be able to advance um, with four, and, you know, we're a big underdog against England on, on Friday. Uh, it's a billion-dollar team they have, and then we definitely have to get three points at, uh, when we play Iran. So, I don't think it's doomsday. I think you know we're still we're still in a, a good good uh, situation. Probably gonna be tough to win the group now, yeah. um, but I think definitely the second half left uh, a, a lot more on the table and it left some fans uninspired. But uh, you know I'm, I'm loyal to our team and I'm gonna get behind our group and, and continue to cheer them on. How much do we have to worry about England having a handshake draw with Wales? Like, you know, is there, how much do we have to worry about that in in their matchup on uh, that's coming up a week from tomorrow? I think that could be something uh, based on what happens in in the England U.S. game. But uh, you know, listen, last time we, we we played England, we got we got a result and. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the American mentality. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We're still going to be an underdog when we're playing these European powers. And, you know, while England has this big roster and, and world-class players, I still think we can give them a match. And, you know, on the day, uh, I think in, 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 in football, anything's possible. So yeah. I'm not conceding yet on that match. And yeah. you know, let's see what happens, right? Like, let's let's see what this group is all about. It's a young team, and I think you saw that today, like, a young team is going to be inconsistent. There were spurts in the game that looked really good, and then there were spurts, you know, phases of the game in the, in the second half where we were very inconsistent. And I think the average age of our team is, is 23, 24 years old, and we're one of the youngest teams in, in, in the world. So a lot of expectations on these guys. It was, it was great to see them back in the World Cup after missing the last one. But for sure, I know the fans, and we want, we want winners, and we want them to get three points out of today. And I think, I think we could have. Um, you know, the, the, the Wales team came out in the second half and stepped up to the ball and put more pressure on us and played more direct. And, you know, that's that's kind of what was expected. And, um, you know, we need our big players to step up and, and make plays. And for us to have any chance against England, we're going to need we're going to need more of the attackers for sure. Yeah, I even think uh, our Adams, you know, is one of the youngest captains ever. Yes. He's like 23 yes. years old. He's a captain yeah. of the team. So That's I think right. that plays a role. Give me an idea as a coach, and you're watching other matches. You've been in that situation yourself at the University mm-hmm. of Portland where you're looking for a little energy in the second half. Mm-hmm. How do you know? When's the right time? What's the right move? Well, in an international game, you have, you have five opportunities to change the game, and those are with your subs, you know, in terms of energy and personnel and, you know, I thought we would see Gio Reyna today. I was, I was surprised. You know, we, we didn't bring Gio in. He's also been injured for a long time. But now he's playing again at Dortmund. So, um, yeah, I think those are those moves that coaches make that, you know, make coaches, right? So if, if you can if you can make the right checkers, chess moves, then, you know, you, you get rewarded. And you did the right thing to kind of get the chemistry of the group right. And I think probably – the Wales team had the upper hand today in terms of finishing the match stronger uh, than the U.S. team and then making better adjustments as, as the game went on. But, again, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of, our, of, of, our, of this generation of players, and I'm a product of American soccer, so I'm always going to be behind the team and, and supporting them. And, you know, we didn't lose. So I think that you need to get points out of the first, the first match in, in group play. And, um, I think if you don't get points, it's very, very hard to advance. Yeah. So I think still two games left, everything to play for. Uh, we definitely have to beat Iran, and 
you know, let's see if we can shock the world and, and, and maybe yeah. get three, but if not one on uh, Friday against England. Now, when you go to make a substitution in the college game, you get rules that are different than FIFA. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, you know, if you do make a substitution that's not an injury substitution, is it just that you normally have a rotation where you like to bring in a, a, a player in for a change of pace, or are you looking for things like, you know, so-and-so just doesn't, have a spring in his step today like you know is is it more a case of you know data driving that decision or your gut yeah that's a great question i mean x's and o's are important and, and, and a lot of people can do the x's and o's i think all coaches can but the relationship piece is really important in, in really knowing your players and when they're on and, and why they're off or you know what the exertion they have on their legs and and just trying to change things up but i've been really proud of, of our group because i think uh, we always preach that the bench is going to decide games and the guys who don't start, especially in college soccer where there's a condensed schedule and, and you need to have a deep bench. You need to have guys come off the bench to change the game. That happened in our match yesterday, right? Like Muslim Umar yeah. was, was a freshman that we brought into the game. He scored a second goal. It was by far his, his best match in, in a pilot uniform. And after the game, I, I told everyone he was, he was the player of the game. He changed, he changed the game on both sides of the ball and, um, you know, most people won't know, but he was he was nursing an ankle injury three days leading up to that game and didn't even practice. So he was up for it, and sometimes big-time players step up in big-time moments, and, and he was ready for that moment, and he wasn't overwhelmed by the moment and, and took advantage of it. So part of it's a gut feeling. Part of it's knowing your guys. Part of it is, is making sure you have gamers, you know. Like, I've seen a lot of good players over the days be really good in practice, and then the lights in the arena come on, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit and so other players sometimes in practice they're okay and then the big moments come and, and they turn into big time players so you got to have gamers you got to have players in any sport that that that, that want to make plays uh, when everyone's watching University of Portland men's soccer coach Nick Carlin Voigt is our guest they've advanced to the sweet 16 you'll host Western Michigan Saturday five o'clock Merlot Field uh, you know as you get to this stage and you've been here uh, how are you thinking? Uh, is it is it more about rest and maintenance? Is it about watching film and strategy? How do you approach this game Saturday? Yeah, it's everything. You know, it's uh, we we had a really incredible, difficult run. You know, we we were a little bit ticked off. We weren't in consideration for a seed because we've had one of the best seasons in program history in a regular season. We only lost two matches, both on the road, and so. We were in consideration for a top 16 seed, but as we know, uh, coming from our league, you have to be near perfect, and, and and we were close to that, but not quite close enough, and so it started off with hosting the game on Thursday, and, and we played the Big West champs, and you know, able to get a, a good result against Riverside, and then turn around and, and go down to Corvallis to play Oregon State, who's a seeded team, and they're on short, short rest. Uh, sometimes that can work for you, sometimes that can work against you. I like the fact that we won the game on Thursday, our medical staff, our training room, we brought in the masseuse. They turned our guys around really, really well. And, you know, when, when the whistle blew on Sunday, when our guys were fresh and, and ready to go and, and had a tournament win under their belt. And, you know, the first half was, was KG. Um, they were probably a little bit better than us. And the second half, I thought you could just feel it was going to be Portland and the momentum started to turn. And we made some adjustments at halftime, some of it tactical, some of it personnel, and, and, and they worked. And so, you know, all credit to the players for, for coming out and, and scoring two good goals. We could have scored a third, and, and then we did what we needed to get the shutout and, and move on to the next game. So uh, Western will be exactly 
Defert type of game. You know, they're very physical, big, strong, very direct. Uh, I think they beat Akron earlier in the season, who, who has a game model similar to us, and they want to pass the ball and keep the ball and play on the ground and control control the tempo. And Western, you know, followed them 40 times in the match. So we know that uh, you know Western at this stage in the in, in the final 16, there's no bad teams. They won their they won their league. They've also earned the right to be here. You know, they went on the road and, and beat Louisville in the ACC, and then they beat a seeded Lipscomb team, and, and they won their league by going to Akron and winning on the road. So we'll do all those things. We'll prepare. You know, it'll be uh, new players, new names, new system. But, you know, what you do at this time is, is you do what you're good at, and we're going to focus on us and try to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, we're just delighted to, to represent the city, our community in North Portland, Northeast Portland, Soccer City, USA here. And, and for the first time, in, I believe, in program history, we're at home for a Sweet 16 game, you know. Um, so that is that is something I think everyone at the university, from the president's level to, to our athletic director, Scott Lakeham, to, uh, you know, my sports supervisor, Karina, to our fans, our support, they can all be really proud of for – for playing a big role in, in helping this team be successful. And then ultimately it's about the players. That's always the vision that I had when, when I got this job is make it players' first environment and give them the structure and, and give them a platform to succeed and, and let the team grow. And it's been really fun to see these guys come together in a, in a real positive way and create a brotherhood and a family to, to represent the program and the university really well. And, and, and ultimately that's about winning games. But, you know, it's more than that. It's, it's about – guys playing hard for each other and playing the right way and doing things the right way off the field and, and, and trying to play really good soccer. And I think we've done that. You know, we, we've scored 50 goals this year, and that, that's a milestone. To score 50 goals in a season is not easy. And we've been one of the best attacking teams in the country. And so anyone out there, we'd love to, to earn your support. It's a fun team to, to, to get behind and it's an exciting team. We very much believe we're in the entertainment business and, you know, we want to entertain fans and, and put on a good show. And we've made Merlot feel a fortress all year. And so let's let's pack that place for a Sweet 16 game and, and get it rocking on Saturday. Now, I would normally ask any other coach, like, what do you know about Kalamazoo? But <laughs> you are a Kalamazoo, Michigan native, Comstock right. High School. You went to Kalamazoo College. What is this? This has got to be kind of a little bit surreal for you to kind of look and go, hey, you know, there was an upset on that side of the bracket. I think that, that everyone expected Lipscomb to, to win that. But uh, how does that feel for you to kind of, you know, get a little piece at home? You know, credit to Western. You know, there was an upset for them to be Louisville in the ACC and then go to Lipscomb and win. So I got a lot of messages after the game. Are you coming back? No one quite knew where the game was and who was seated <laughs> higher. And I, I just, you know, I told our players on the bus after the game's going to be at home. Uh, and I said, it's my home. It's Portland now. So, you know, Kalamazoo will always be home. And my family and I have, have put in roots. And my mom went to Western Michigan. My wife, Dr. Mary Anderson Poster, went to Western Michigan. And so, um, you know, her family lives a mile from campus. My mom lives probably an eighth of a mile from their stadium. Uh, I grew up playing against their coach. Their assistant coach was a youth coach in the club that I played at. He went to the same college I did. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's it's um, definitely not the opponent you would you would you would say, hey, that's who will probably play in a Sweet 16 uh, just by the chances. But um, you know, it's all business too. Like you know, we want to advance. You know, I'm I'm a Portland guy, and 
I don't, I don't forget where I came from, but, you know, this is another team that, that's in our way of, of advancing to the next round. And um, it's an interesting story for sure. We, this is a very small community, soccer community in Kalamazoo. But, um, you know, it's all about Portland and the Pilots and, and doing everything we can to, to advance. And, um, you know, I'm glad I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. I'll be honest, either way, either not playing in the tournament or, or going to play them, I'll, I'll take our chances here at Merlot Field. All right, so you get them. Uh, you know, I'm looking all over this bracket. I mean, it it you know it probably is no surprise you see you guys in there. I think a lot of people know the history of Portland University of Portland soccer, and you know you've got uh, Kentucky on the other side of that bracket there, and of course UCLA that people know, and you know these are probably all schools you recruit against. This is a big one for you. Um, you know, for people who want to come out, Nick, how do they get tickets to this event? How do they, how do they pack Merlot Field on Saturday at five o'clock? Yeah, bring your community, bring your friends, bring your family. You know, eat some eat some turkey on Thursday. Uh, come support our basketball team as well. They got a big match at the Moda Center. They're playing UNC on Thursday. Then eat some turkey. Come and uh, support us Saturday. You can get tickets at PortlandPilots.com. They went on sale today at 11 a.m. We want to sell the place out. So spread the word. Um, soccer is not over in the fall. Congratulations to the Thorns for doing really well. I want to recognize yeah. our women's team for going undefeated at home, making a run in the tournament. And in Soccer City USA, they love getting behind the team. So come out and support. You know, if you haven't been to a game at Merlot Field, it's it's one of the best places in the country to watch a game. And I think you you'll really be uh, excited to come watch our guys and get behind our program and, and our team. So come on out. It's easy to get tickets. You can get them at Walk Up too, but. You want to pre-order on portlandpilots.com through our ticket office. Dave Taylor will take good care of you. All right, Nick, thank you. Congrats to you guys, Sweet 16. I know you've been in the NCAA tournament, I think, four times now, but uh, getting to the Sweet 16, give them hell on Saturday. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your support of the Pilots. There you go. Nick Carlin Voigt, talking soccer. Now John Strong can get off my back. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 7.50 The Game. Well, we took the plunge over the weekend. We did. We got a puppy. We did it. Anna tweeted it, put it on her Instagram. I wrote about it on Saturday at johnconzano.com. Uh, we had talked about getting a puppy. We got a puppy. We've had a puppy now for about 24 hours. Anna, how's that been for you? How's the last 24 <laughs> been for you in your life? I forgot. Let's just let's just be <laughs> honest, okay? I forgot that bringing a puppy home is like bringing home a newborn baby. It's been about 12 or 13 years since we last did the puppy thing. A little more recent on the newborn baby thing and one can argue that a puppy is even harder because you're actually having to go outside in the middle of the night and take it out to go potty and poo and I now I've resigned myself to smelling like liver treats for about the next 10 days at least yeah you're going through a lot of this uh, you're 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 forwarding me websites that have all the answers <laughs> that make it sound very easy yes. uh, Judah has uh, I think about how many months ago did you have the newborn baby I like a time is I there's no sense of time anymore I, I want to say 14 months I could be wrong. Okay. Have you forgotten how hard it was, or do you? Is it a fresh memory, 
like that first couple of months. Too fresh. Yeah. Too fresh. I remember. I think there's some biology in that that you eventually uh-huh. forget enough, and yeah. that's what makes you want to have a second child. Yeah. Because like, if you remembered <laughs> everything, yeah. if you remembered all the things, we would have a lot of uh, single children and, frankly, single puppies walking yeah. around in households. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, uh, yeah, the, your, your mind forgets. Your mind forgets. All right. So you, uh, you've been dealing with puppy. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been dealing with it a little bit, but I got to be honest. I, I, uh, I got home. Having a puppy is kind of like having a 730 kickoff yeah. in the Pac-12. Yeah. Because I went to the Oregon-Utah game on Saturday. Yeah, this and is crazy. I went down to the game, and I watched the game, and I covered the game, and I wrote about the game. And then I packed my stuff up, and then I got in the car, and then I headed back towards the Portland metropolitan area on I-5 through some little bit of traffic, but still coming back. And I did stop for a carne asada burrito at Abierto's in Salem, my favorite stop. 24 hours. 24 hours, they were open. Brilliant. Uh, and, uh, and I got home, and it was after 3 a.m., guys. After 3 a.m. And then I got up at 6.30 to finish writing and post at johnconzano.com. So I did have it. I did buy four burritos, though, because I wasn't just buying for the trip home. I was thinking about Sunday, Monday. You know, I, I was being very forward thinking there. Yeah, good thing. Good the thing. 730 kickoffs have to stop. Well, and you wonder, like, what does everybody else do? I mean, granted, yeah. no, not everybody else is sticking around after and listening to the press conference and getting some writing done. People are, well, they're heading out and they're sitting in traffic. Yeah, there's a lot of people still in the parking lot, though. There were people who were sitting in the parking lot still when I left at, like, you know, damn near 2 a.m., and a lot of them had Winnebago's. I mean, maybe I need a Winnebago. Well, you've been saying that for a while. Just go, like, mosey down in the BFT Bago and park park in the lot at Autzen. And then what? Uh, just come home like, you know, I begin rolling in about Monday morning. I I actually think that because I, I worry about you. Like, I don't sleep when you do that because I'm worried nah. that, you know, I don't know. I'm just worried that you're not going to make it home or that you're driving fatigued. No, like, I, 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 you're on adrenaline at that point. That's what I figure. Yeah, I'm a, you're on adrenaline. I'm, you know, thinking about the game, thinking about Oregon's offense, Oregon's defense. I'm thinking about who's going to win the game formerly known as the Civil War. I'm wondering why haven't they named the Civil War? How far I'm, are you away you from Abertos? Yeah, and I'm going, you know, they're 24 hours. It would be a shame to leave those employees just standing there. That's right. You know, That's so right. might as well pull off. Way to do your part. Um, all right. By the way, at Abertos in Salem, mm-hmm. they have a drive through okay? Mm-hmm. And in the drive through it they have, like, it, I guess other people have done this over the years. They have these these poles that are in the ground to keep you from running into the building. Yeah. You know how the, you know oh, how yeah. businesses will put a pole in the ground. Absolutely. And they're like, hit this. Yeah. Don't hit the building. Yeah. And but those poles over the years, people have gone through the drive-through, have taken bumper stickers, <laughs> and put them all over the poles. Oh, that's cute. So I the last time I was in that drive-through, you did not. I took a BFT bumper sticker oh my gosh and i stuck it on one of the poles okay okay and i came through this time and i was proud to see that it was still affixed hey, in the drive-thru how about that so some things do last for a few weeks in the pac-12 season <laughs> um let's go to the phone lines uh jacob is in eugene he's listening on fox sports eugene jacob what's on your mind 
Well, uh, Friday I called in about uh, my peeves. One was people, uh, you know, going slow in the left lane, and the other one was Oregon not ever having a good defense. And 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 uh, holy spicoli, the defense showed out and pretty much won that game. <laughs> holy spicoli, indeed. How did that feel for you? Do you think they could keep that going, or did that have more to do with Utah and Cam Rising not being right? TBD. Uh, all I can say is TBD there. Uh, the game was great. I had to step away for a couple minutes in the third quarter because I about had a couple heart attacks. Yep. But um, I-, I thought it was a great performance, and I – at first, I thought the announcers were over-exaggerating about Bo's injury because it seemed like every two minutes they are like, oh, my God, Bo Nick, he can't even walk. And, you know, I'm like, well, maybe he is actually really hurt. So, you know, it, it was a great game. Uh, and uh, I, but, I, but I'm really worried about the Beavers. I mean, yeah. they've just been showing out for weeks now, and they're licking their chops to get at us. But uh, I think the Ducks can get them, but I think it's going to be a close game. So go Ducks. Yep. I think it's going to be a really hard-fought game. And I think it means a lot to both programs, but I think it means a little more to Oregon State. I think there, when you look up and down the Oregon State roster, I think you see more homegrown kids. And I also think you see players who have been in the program for three and four years who, got, who remember getting their teeth kicked in by Oregon uh, at the uh, end of the Gary Anderson era. And so I think... You know, a couple of years ago, Oregon State won at Reeser Stadium amid the pandemic, but it was a really weird game. It was they had cardboard fan cutouts in the stands. And so I'm kind of looking at this game. I think Oregon State, they've been dynamite at home. I think they'll show up to play. I think they'll run the ball a little bit on Oregon because they run on everybody. Um, and their defense, I think it's it's going to be the best defense that Oregon has seen probably since. I, I mean, I, I'm even trying to think uh, this season. It may be the best defense they've faced it, since their opener against Georgia. Like, you know, I don't think Oregon State's defense is as good as Georgia, but I think Oregon State's defense is better than Washington. I think it's better than Utah. I think it's better than UCLA. I think it's better. You know, I go down the list of the Pac-12. That is a really good defense that's playing at a high level. And so I think this is a game. And so, uh, and I even think, look, if Bo Nix isn't right, I said this in the opening segment. Judah, check me on this. I'm, I believe if Bo Nix isn't right, if you have the same Bo Nix that played against Utah who really can't move, it's just going to sit on a stool and sling passes, it'll be fine. I think it'll be a game. But I think Oregon State will blow that up. They will make that an uncomfortable experience for Oregon. No doubt about it. Uh, if you ask me, you know, what the scenarios of this game are, is it close Oregon win or a close Oregon State win? I could see either one of those, sure. But if you ask me blowout potential, I don't see the Ducks blowing out the Beavers. There's a, there's a small version where the Beavers win by two scores, I think. Two or three scores. Like, it, it's just, they're just an avalanche at home defensively. And if they can do enough things... I think that you know they can control this game right now. I'm I'm firmly on the Beavers winning this game right now or on a Monday. Am I wrong in this assessment? And feel free to tell me if I'm wrong in framing it this way. But I feel like the Beavers. It's like they're going to be playing to win, and the Ducks will be playing not to lose. And Maybe. if that's the case, how does Coach Lanning? You know, what strategy does he have? with his team going into this game. I, I want to hear from callers. Who do you like in this game right now and why? 503-417-7575. I think it's an interesting study. Um, I, Oregon's plan for a lot, though. Oregon's plan to get to Las Vegas, get to the conference championship game, fulfill their destiny. But we often see in sports, 
you know, one moment, right? Bo Nix showed up. He had a bad wheel. Oregon, a very emotional game for them last week in beating Utah. Can they replicate it in a second week in an environment that is 180 degrees different with Oregon State actually showing up? Like, I think this game means more to Oregon State than, it, than the bowl game will mean for Oregon State. Like, I think Oregon State, this is their moment. And I'm looking at their defense and performance. Let's look at their last three games. They gave up seven points to Arizona State last Saturday. They gave up 10 to Cal the Saturday before. They gave up 24 the Friday before to Washington. They gave up 9 to Colorado in the week before that. And they gave up 10 to Washington State the week before that. Nobody's scoring on them. Nobody's scoring on the Beavers right now. Keep an eye on that as you go to make your picks because I'm, I'm right now, I called it a pick em, but uh, I want to know more about the health of a couple of Oregon State players. Jonathan Smith will be on Wednesday's show. We'll talk to him then. But I'm, I am looking at this game as a complete coin flip at this point. I want to know what you think of it. 503-417-7575. You got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Oregon State's defense in its last five games, seven points, three points, 24 points to Washington, nine to Colorado, 10 to Washington State been very stingy they'll be at research stadium where they are 10 and 1 in their last 11 games the only game they lost in that stretch was a three-point loss 17 14 to usc uh keep an eye on the defense of oregon state against an oregon offense that you know let's face it would look limited against utah that's why i think it's really important to see how how much better or how much healthier Bo Nix can get this week? Can he move a little bit? Can he? Will he be able to run the ball and be a running threat for Oregon? Keep an eye on all of that. Mark's in Portland joining us. Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, I just want to congratulate you. You've uh, I don't I don't know how Oregon won that game. It's the first game they played defense. They won you know red zone and fourth downs and and uh, they haven't done that all year. So I was. I was uh, pleasantly surprised, but I just I don't see again how they're the favorite. I'm doing the old money line bet on the Beavers that they're plus 140 right now in some places, and I I just don't understand. Was was it Utah's uh, not the same team that scored 40 plus yeah. points on U- USC and yeah. Oregon State? That and that, too. That's what you, yeah. So yeah. I mean, Oregon's defense is you know what's going to happen? Are they going to play at the same level that they played last week? Um, I think it's going to be a great game, but uh, I I like the Beavers at home as far as money. I just think Oregon is a little bit of an underdog in this game. I think the spread should be three, three and a half, with the Beavers being favored. So mm. I think from an odd standpoint, I I like I like the Beavers at home. They're they're so good at home right now. I yeah. mean, they hate Oregon. This is their Super Bowl every year, and they're going to be so ready for this game. Can the Ducks? Uh, they listened to how bad their defense was all week. I just want to, if they're listening out there right now, I want to let them know they still suck on defense so they can get fired up and prove me wrong again. They have I to do it twice in a row. <laughs> did you see Did you see Dan Lanning on the sideline where he was animated and yelling? And It felt to me like he was more involved with the he defense. He was coaching the defense. Well, I don't yeah. understand why. He's the defensive coordinator. So he, whatever they did last week, it looked to me like they were – covering the outside man-to-man like they used to do with Blotty, um, you know, where they can they can get 
more guys in the box and put more pressure on the quarterback. But whatever they did last week, they got to go with that this week. Yeah, yeah. I think can can they play a low scoring game with the Beavers? Yeah, Beavers are tough. (laughs) It's going to be a great game. I just told Anna during the break if I had to pick it right now, I I think I think Oregon will get somewhere between twenty four and twenty seven points in this game. So if the Beavers can get to twenty eight, you know, and I think that's a question. Like, can they get to twenty eight? I think it's that kind of game. It's twenty eight, twenty seven. It's twenty seven, twenty four. I think. I like um, I like Oregon State in points in this game if if you can get three and a half points like the spread is right now. Um, Steven, where are you leaning on this game? Uh, yeah, I think right now I'm leaning Beavs. Uh, I, I think I need to see Bo Nix be healthy. If Bo Nix is like he was on Saturday and not able to run, I think Oregon State feasts on defense. Yeah. And, you know, Utah didn't have the personnel to do it, but in Research Stadium, if there's no threat of the run game, I think Oregon State could do it. I, I wonder if the Ducks are going to come out real early and try to show maybe a designed run for Bo Nix to keep the pressure on and just maybe confuse them and think that he can do it. But, I mean, he's got to be healthy for the Oregon uh, to score. Yeah, if, if they just sit Bo Nix in that pocket and put him on a stool, Oregon State will give him problems. Oregon can run the ball, and, and it's why I think they'll score some in this game. But And Nix can make some plays. He'll make some plays. But I, I don't think he'll get more than – 250 passing yards if he isn't healthy. He has to be able to run and use his feet in order to hurt Oregon State's defense and keep them from really doing what they do well when you get one-dimensional. Uh, Dennis is in Canby. Dennis, how do you see it? Oh, I, we were at the game, my son and I, and I tell you the big difference was no Alex Forsyth. Um, if he's not able to play and then Jackson – power the right guard those are two big weapons when they're running games so um i'm going to make the difference is going to be i'm going to go with the same thing i did against utah camden lewis is a good kicker oregon state kickers four for ten so i'm going to take mm-hmm. the ducks 20 to 17 but Jaden grant do not have a walk-off interception this is going to be a great <laughs> game. i think it's going to be a great game and i think it, the interesting thing we're going to talk to jack coletto tomorrow Will Coletto play? Jaden Grant did not play at Arizona State, did not make the trip. Will he play? It'll be a senior night for Oregon State. It'll be the last time that some Oregon State players are playing in this game. How much emotion will the Beavers bring? Uh, Jerry's in southeast Portland. Jerry, what do you see? Well, I mean, I've agreed a lot with a lot of what I've heard you saying about them over the year. I think the, the, the Beavers' defense has uh, stood up mostly every single game, especially these home games, but I think one thing that I that I also wonder about is things like we've seen just incremental improvement in Branson and uh, so, you know, will he just be a teeny bit more mature by next week, or will he, uh, you know, will he just throw some interception that will just be, you know, a determining factor? I don't know, but... Yeah. Uh, he seems like he has gotten a little bit better uh, consistently for the last little while. Yeah, he, and, you know, I said that to Jonathan Smith last week on this show. I said, you know, are, are we putting too much on Gulbranson just saying, hey, not, he, is there another step for him, another step for him? He gets better as the running game gets better. Damian Martinez was fantastic on Saturday. Oregon State's new damnation collective better get the checkbook out because – Martinez is a freshman who grew up in Texas. He had very limited offers out of high school. 
he's going to be a guy that, uh, you know, these other NIL collectives are going to, you know, try to get in touch with. I think Oregon State has to play some defense off the field too now. Um, but for Oregon's standpoint, and I'm not ready to make an official pick here, like Oregon's plan for a lot. It would mean something in Dan Lanning's first season to get to Las Vegas. Oregon State, of course, they want to, you know, match Oregon, get nine wins, you know, go to a better bowl game. But I think there's something out there for Oregon as well. I think we're going to have one of the best, most meaningful games probably since 2008 when they were playing for one of these teams is going to the Rose Bowl. Um, this game feels big. It was Mike Riley that day. It was Chip Kelly that day. This, this one feels big. And I love that we're at this point of the season and we're looking at, you know, these two teams are going to finish the regular season with a combined 18 wins, Oregon and Oregon State. Combined 18 wins. That is remarkable. Strength of this conference, the state of Oregon's one of the tenth poles in the Pac-12 right now. More of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Somebody tweeted at me, it's time to brine the turkey. We don't have a turkey yet. Are we in trouble? Uh, should we have a turkey? Well, we should. We will shortly. Are you going in the to next Costco or 24 hours? Yes. We will acquire a turkey as long as this turkey shortage that they like to scare us all about isn't uh, in effect. You know some people don't have a turkey on Thanksgiving. Dan Lanning doesn't do turkey on Thanksgiving. Sometimes he does a ham. Sometimes yeah. he, they do uh, they do other food. I they, know. You know? We're definitely a turkey family. Yeah. We have some traditions. Turkey Pumpkin yeah. pie? Yeah. Maybe a little pecan pie. Do you have traditions, Stephen and Judah? Thanksgiving traditions in your household. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we don't really do much at our actual house. It's always just going to places. And Freeloader. I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I blame it on the kids, though. I blame it on the kids because the people, the family wants to see the kids. They don't care about me. They just want to see my kids, so yeah. we got to take them everywhere. Milk that, though. If you don't have to be the one that hosts, oh, my gosh. But that's then I got to haul, haul the kids around. and you know. That's okay. Poor you. Yeah. You, know. you don't have to shop. You don't have to cook. You don't have bring to clean. good wine. Then yeah. milk that. Hang man. out. Watch football. You have to, you have, you're basically Ubering your kids over to your parents' house or whatever. That's Pretty not much. too bad. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. Judah, do, do you have a tradition? Do you guys use Thanksgiving to usher in, like, Christmas music? And stuff like that. Like, is it Christmas season on Thanksgiving? Is it? It happens after. No, it's more of a. It's more of a after. I don't. We generally start thinking about Christmas probably as, maybe at the end of the Thanksgiving meal, something will come up. (laughs) Hey, where are we doing Christmas this year? Yeah. It's kind of like you know. That's how we. That's how forward thinking we are. Uh huh. Like like last week, somebody said Happy Holidays on the show. I almost fell out of my chair. (laughs) And then you know somebody else. The next caller said. Merry Christmas, and I was kicking myself for not saying Happy New Year to the next caller, you know, or Happy Valentine's Day. Just to get a jump on it. Like, you know, it's like we're at Walgreens over here, yeah. you know? Like, what are what holiday are they on? St. Patrick's Day right now? They're not the biggest you know? defender. Yeah. Uh, Judah, do you have traditions? Nah, I would say probably, uh, I mean, my dad used to do the turkey. You know, he loves the, the barbecuing. He used to do it in a big green egg recently, so he, he's got that down nice. pretty good. Nice. So you're freeloading, too? 
This year we're actually hosting, so Ooh. yeah, we got we we well we're hosting basically our own our own selves and uh, and a couple other uh, family members. So oh, that's great! Yeah, we'll you get be, to delegate. You get to be like, yeah, you're bringing the salad. You're, you're in charge of the TV. This. You're in charge of the TV. That's important. That's exactly right. Um, I saw something really funny on social media. I saw somebody, I guess, last year at Thanksgiving. This would be a good uh, gag for somebody. They took a uh, a small chicken. Or uh, one of those little uh, bantam, uh, you know, chickens that you can buy, uh-huh. and they cooked it separately while they were cooking the <laughs> no, while they're cooking the turkey. Okay. And then when they were taking the turkey out of the oven, mm-hmm. they kind of, uh, you know, how a quarterback does like a, uh, you know, a, a bootleg. They kind of bootlegged the chicken and they put it inside the turkey. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stuck it into the into the cave that is the. Inside of the turkey, and they went, oh, my gosh, it was pregnant, (laughs) and pulled it out, and the people in the room were just horrified. (laughs) It was pregnant. And for a moment, I was like, is there such a thing as a pregnant turkey? And then I thought, no, 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 they do eggs. There's no pregnant turkey. (laughs) So good. It's it's pretty good. Uh, Let's go to Gary in Tualatin. Gary, what's on your mind? Hey, John, go back. Crying out loud! What do you? What happened there? Like, are you? Are we on a hold? Are we on speaker? What happened there? Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, I had another call. <laughs> okay, <laughs> an important one, right? I, in yeah, my yeah. mind, in yeah. my mind, you're in your garage. You're on a cot. Yeah. And then you're yeah. listening on a speakerphone. And the minute yeah. I say Gary Atwellington, you pop up like there's a home yeah. invasion going on, and you grab the it, phone. It's kind of a forty-inch TV, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in your so, you know, so, so you know the difference between uh, the Rose Bowl and the national championship, don't you? Yes. You have to earn your way to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So uh, I was at the game. Uh, been going 50 years, right? Okay. One of the best games. Had everything. It was at just an absolutely incredible game. Uh, for uh, Dellinger, uh, I'd like to give him some advice. If your uh, if your play has the cow band in, throw it in the garbage can. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Dillingham, uh, Dillingham, the offensive coordinator. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Not the and Western McCorm- criminal. Yeah. John Dillingham. And McCormick had the very best play of the game. Yeah. That, uh, stopping the 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 uh, pick six. Yeah. Uh, saved the game. I mean, that game it just had everything. Uh, and yeah. coming to the Beavers, um, I like it when they're overconfident, and I think they're going to be really overconfident, uh, you know, licking their chops. Uh, and that's that's the best time to get them. It's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be. Well, you're, be the, one of the were best. You, what time did you get home, if if, if I can one, ask? Yeah, one thirty. Yeah, it's too late. The 7.30 kickoff. Yeah, I hate, but you know what? For that game, it was perfect. I mean, it was freezing cold. Yeah, it was cold. Uh, I was in the uh, I was in the donor section, so we yeah. could go into the into the clubhouse where it was eighty oh, well, degrees. But still, no, no, no wonder you enjoyed it. There were there were a couple of kids down in the stands. It was twenty seven well, degrees. I wasn't in the press box where it was eighty degrees the whole no. game. It was no, no. They have outside. the window open. We had the window <laughs> open in that press Poor box. Baby. I had a jacket on. I had a gloves on. <laughs> Was, we didn't give it I to him, so Gary. Sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that game was so dramatic, uh, and don't don't knock Utah. They are a great team. 
their defense is outstanding. They were hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, and we had to pay them back. I mean, that, that game, we did not want to lose to Utah again, and it looked like we were going to three different times. Yep. But the best part of the game is the defense won it. Yeah, I agree with that. I appreciate that. Uh, he's right about the defense winning it. Uh, Utah, to me, look, I've seen Utah three times this season. They're banged up. Cam Rising, something not right about him, the quarterback. And he's their he's their guy. I mean, he, he makes it go. And so, you know, they're really banged up. I think Oregon did a really nice job. I think Dan Lanning is doing more coaching that defense than maybe at any other point of the season. Looked to me like he took over the defense. He's coaching the team now. He's coaching the defense. And Tosh Lapoy was – he had his arms folded. I just His body language on the sideline kind of looked to me like he had been demoted and nobody had announced it. And a head coach can do that. head coach can come in and go, look, I didn't like what I saw in defense. This is what we're going to do now, especially a guy who has called defenses before. Um I I don't I think Oregon State's going to be confident, but I Gary's point about them being overconfident. I just don't think that's in the DNA at Oregon State. I think they walk around going, "We don't get respect. We're barely ranked. We have almost as much wins as Oregon. Uh, we played USC to a 17-14 game, and they're going to be a playoff team." And like I think Oregon State walks around that way. And I think the strength of Oregon State, if it wasn't substance stuff, like you know, rush defense and pass defenders who are very good. Uh, you know, it's not like it's a it's it's not a um, it's not a game that is played in a way that is um, you know very complicated. They smash you. They want to rumble with you. They want to play twenty seven twenty four. That's their kind of game. I think it's going to be that kind of game. But Oregon showed me something against Utah. They showed me they could win a game like that. So look out. I think this is going to be one of the best Civil War games ever. And I'm calling it that because I reached out to Oregon and Oregon State today, and I said, do we have a name yet? And if they said, yeah, we're calling it the, you know, first call heating and cooling classic, I would I would have said that, but they didn't. And You know, if they had said, hey, it's the shoe mill cup, I would have said so it. so weird to me that they haven't agreed on a new name. You know they why? They, to take that name away. Look, and I don't want to get into a big debate about, you know, the politics of it and this and that, but if you're going to rename it, I think they should have taken more time to make the this Is this the right decision? Should have been a conversation uh, because, you know, as you know, you want, I want, like, I'm not an American history expert. But I feel like they should have maybe consulted their American history experts on their own campuses and said, hey, look, let's get together. Is it is it bad that we're calling this the Civil War? Well, maybe they did, though. Maybe they did, and they just still haven't come up with the new name. Like, I feel like the transition Three years, to the new Anna. name needed to well, be Well, you've been talking sooner. about getting a bowl game, John. This, it should be the BFT rivalry. Let's call it that. <laughs> How, look, here's the thing, like, you know, three years. It's like you had a baby three years ago. Eh, we haven't decided on a name yet. You can't do that. <laughs> we got a dog. We got a puppy three years ago. We didn't. We haven't given it a name yet. You can't do that. This game is going to be referred to as the Civil War by most people. And I think most people view Civil War history as, hey, the Civil War was fought for the uh, partially for the abolition of slavery. This is... 
I'm for that. Yeah, but isn't the argument that it's too trite to call it the yeah. Civil War because the actual Civil War carried so much meaning? I want America. I want U.S. history experts to debate that. And, and if they come away and they go, you know what, this this is not a good idea, then I'm with them. But I, now I'm stuck in this weird position where I have to call it the game formerly known as the Civil War. I know. It's like Prince, you know. And so what's like the, the difference? Formerly known as Prince. And look, what, I don't I don't care. Call it what you want to call it. They can call it the green and orange battle if they want. <laughs> it, do that, you know. And be a terrible name. And sponsored by Crayola. I don't care. But give it a name. Don't just say we're not going to call it that and then go, you know, we don't know what we're going to call it. And I reached out to both universities today very respectfully and said, hey, where are we at on this? Both came, both came back. No, they came back and said uh -huh. nothing new yet and not uh -huh. there. It's not important to them. Right. It's only important to me. Leave it here. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Going to take a couple of few phone calls, then we're going to do the 5 at 5, and in Portland on 750 The Game, we will lead you right into Monday Night Football. That's what we're going to do. Steven, I'm going to take some calls, then do the 5 at 5, okay? Sounds good. That's our order of operations here. There's an order of this show's got its uh, got its act together, is we're what not, I'm we're saying. We're on top of it. We're on it. Yeah. We're just making things up. As I text Stephen, what's my out time? Um, all right, here we go. Let's go to the phone lines first. Mike in Portland calling in. We want to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Renaming the game formerly known as the Civil War. Who's going to win the thing? What not? Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, John. You know, when I listen to these people talk about the game the other night, it makes me um, think that these people were inebriated. Because when I watched that game, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't – it lacked intensity. And basically the reason Utah lost is because of Cam Rising. He played horrible. Mm -hmm. he, he's the reason they lost that game. Yeah, he doesn't so, look right. He didn't look good at all. And so when I talk about the game, you get in the perspective from a, a, a person that watched the game sober. The game was horrible. And I'm going to tell you something, man. Yeah. No, I'm serious, man. I know, but it's, it's just funny. I just funny what you say. I, like, I, just, I, en I enjoy this call. Go ahead. I'm interrupting you. Hey, John, Go. check this out, man. Mark Parker said that, this division, the Pac-12, <clears throat> was as good as the SEC. My question is this. If that's the case, how come Bo Nix, when he was in the SEC, nobody put him up as a candidate for the Heisman Trophy? How come they wasn't raving on Bo Nix when he was in the SEC? He had to come to the Pac-12 <clears throat> to get the accolades. And so... You know, I disagree with Mike Parker, you know, totally, man. Anyway, John, that's all I have. Um, keep on doing what you've been doing, man. I'll talk I to you later. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. Um, Bo Nix got a bunch of SEC awards. I mean, he started 12 games. He was the SEC freshman of the year. So, you know, he won awards in the SEC as well. But, you know, he's also older, maybe wiser. I expect more out of him. But Mike makes a good point about Cam Rising. I think, like, Cam Rising is such an important player for Utah. He's not right 
And I I was on the field at the end of the game, and I saw Bo Nix jog over and go after Cam Rising and basically go, Cam, Cam, and he turned around, and they had a moment there, and they talked. And I stood off to the side. I didn't want to interrupt you know, a personal conversation that was happening, but it was it's evident to me that there are a lot of quarterbacks in this league right now that are just hobbling towards the end of the season. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson didn't look healthy in the loss to USC for UCLA. Um, Bo Nix is hurt. Cam Rising is hurt. I'm looking at USC a little bit with Caleb Williams. USC's getting better. Like, they're a better team now than they were a couple of weeks ago. I had written them off. We had talked about it. I looked at what they did to UCLA on Saturday. I'm like, you know what? They're coming on when a lot of other teams are waning. They're waxing. Caleb Max, yeah, the, the favorite for the Heisman right now, too. Yeah, he's they're, they're putting it together. And it surprised me a little bit because I, I did not expect them to beat UCLA. I thought they'd lose close. They won close. And now I'm looking at them going, you know what? They're going to beat Notre Dame. And if they win the Pac-12 championship game, they're going to make the playoff. And we may get a chance to see them against Georgia. In the in the in the postseason, it might be really interesting to see that offense. Uh, but I don't think they have a chance of beating Georgia. But I'd like to see that offense play against Georgia. Dan's in West Lynn. Dan, welcome. Hey, John. Hope you can hear me. I got gotcha. you loud and clear. Great. Hey, I just wanted to. Uh, you were talking about the name for the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know, my son and his friends, they are calling it the Civil Was. What's that? I lost you there for a second. Uh, my my son and his friends, they call the, the game the Civil Was. <laughs> I like that. The Civil War. Oh, I like that. I might I might use that. I'll give you an assist on that. I like that. Calling it the Civil Was, not the Civil War. Mac is in Gresham. Mac, welcome. Hey, John. So what do you get when you cross a duck and a beaver? Platypus. Exactly. So Washington has the Apple Cup. Why don't we have the Platypus Cup? And we have a little cup, and whoever wins the game gets to take the cup. You're talking about now Warren Spady. He created the trophy for the game formerly known as the Civil War. It's the Platypus Trophy. And he was an art student at Oregon. We've had him on the show numerous times. And this trophy went missing. It's got a great story. It's got some great history. I think it should. I think it should be celebrated. That platypus trophy should be exchanged by the teams at midfield. But until they rename the game, they can say the plat. It's for the platypus trophy. But until they rename it, it's the Civil War or the Civil Was, whatever, the, whatever that is. Let's do the five at five. We got a little bit of news in the five at five as well. Bring it on. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. A bunch of people reporting out there that Lane Kiffin will be headed to Auburn as the coach. Now, I don't have this myself. Don't at me if it ends up unwinding. But a whole bunch of people believe Lane Kiffin is on the move. Former USC coach, uh, head coach at Ole Miss. Apparently, according to multiple sources... He plans to step down as the Rebels coach on Friday and head to Auburn. Lane Kiffin, has, he's only 47. He's been the head coach of the Raiders, Tennessee, USC, Florida Atlantic, Ole Miss, and now Auburn. Maybe a break. Big time get for Auburn or a miss to be determined. That's number one. Number two in the 5 at 5, the Jets 
They don't know who's going to play quarterback for them on Sunday. They won't say. The uh, Jets are looking at Zach Wilson as a potential starter Sunday, but it might be Mike White on the depth chart or Joe Flacco. Um, as, uh, you know, nobody is naming a starter. And by the way, Wilson was not informed of this status by his coaches. He's in limbo. That's number two. Number three in our five at five. How about Portland? Portland getting a women's Final Four. In 2030, the Women's NCAA Tournament Final Four will head to the Motor Center. And Memorial Coliseum will host probably a fan fest, coaching convention. Both arenas will be used. But a big-time win for Portland, who had come up empty on two other opportunities where they bid for the Final Four. Number four in our five at five. Some online sports betting operators today started encouraging customers to take steps to protect their accounts. Multiple companies saw fraudulent activity in recent weeks. DraftKings said today that a small number of betting accounts were accessed by unauthorized users. This led to approximately $300,000 in customer funds being withdrawn in an attack that the company believes was caused by login information being stolen from third-party sites. The Action Network also reported that at least one customer was locked out of an account on Sunday and had money withdrawn from a bank account that was used to make deposits. DraftKings is looking at that. Number five in our five at five. How about the Blazers? Tough weekend for the Blazers. We had talked about when it would be that they would fall out of first place. Well, the Blazers did it over the weekend. They're still sitting pretty at 10-6, and six, one game behind the Utah Jazz. But Portland's lost two straight. Time for the Blazers to get back on track. And they'll try to do that. They're at Milwaukee tonight. They tip uh, just a few minutes from now. Monday Night Football is coming up right here on 750 The Game. If you want to read me, you can read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. I've got all sorts of information there. Grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. We'll be back tomorrow with another great show. Big guests all week long as we are headed to the rivalry game, the Civil War, Oregon and Oregon State on Saturday.